You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform designed for and by outdoorsmen. Go Wild is a place to connect with other outdoorsmen, find fishing and hunting tips and tactics, and you can even research and buy your gear. Join hundreds of thousands of other hunters, fishermen, and outdoorsmen and experience what this community is all about. Download it today at DownloadGoWild.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What's up, everyone? <clears throat> Welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Ryan Sarkinen, and Ryan is the owner and founder of 2% Certified Ryan Sarkinen Coaching. Uh, Ryan specializes uh, in, in coaching um, small businesses to help uh, a really in all facets of business, uh, whether that's increased profits, uh, increased uh, efficiency, more throughput, uh, really helping uh, these small businesses uh, really capitalize on what it is uh, that they're involved in, anything, uh, and Ryan talks about this, anything from you know real estate agents to photographers, uh, videographers, uh, CPAs, you know, there's really no shortage of small businesses who uh, at one point or another in their journey, uh, likely need some help and some coaching to get them over some hurdles or help them, uh, you know, take that next step in terms of uh, becoming more successful and reaching their goals. Um, you know, Ryan also kind of talks about uh, growing up in Washington. You know what the outdoors uh, and conservation mean to him. Uh, he shares a, a story of a really really cool experience that. Um, I don't think a lot of people will likely ever have the chance to uh, witness um, that he did uh, when he was a, a, a child with his dad um, and you know how that moment really kind of shaped and um, pointed him really in the right direction uh, in terms of the outdoors and you know 
how he's balancing, uh, you know, family uh, with spending time in the outdoors um, and, you know, the importance of making sure that we have healthy herds and populations on the landscape. Um, Ryan uh, is a, um, a member of RMEF, which is where uh, he spends uh, a lot of his time volunteering, um, you know, during the spring, uh, really all year round. Um, you know, you can, Ryan and I talked about this offline, but you, you'll hear it when, you know, Ryan's talking about the coaching side of things, you know, how passionate he is about coaching and helping others kind of really uh, reach their full potential and then maybe even go beyond that uh, when it comes to their own, their small business and seeing them succeed is something that uh, has really been a driving force for Ryan um, since starting the business. So, uh, really cool, really fun episode. Uh, episode 70, Ryan Sarkinen. Enjoy. All right. I'd like to welcome into the podcast today from 2% Certified Ryan Sarkinen Coaching, the man himself, Mr. Ryan Sarkinen. Ryan, how are you? Doing fantastic. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I appreciate you making some time. I know you're on the West Coast. I'm in the Midwest here, so there's a little bit of a time difference. So it's certainly a little bit earlier uh, in the day for you. But no, I'm glad that we could can make this happen. You bet. Same. Looking forward to this. Yeah. So... I guess just kind of let's uh, let's jump right into things here. So tell me about Ryan Sarkin and coaching. Tell me kind of what it is, what it encompasses. Um, yeah, start start there. Happy to. Yeah. So coaching. What is coaching? It's a very broad term. The way I approach it is facilitating growth and change, and really ramping up successes. Focusing on business owners, small businesses, where we just set high goals and overachieve them whether it be growth goals, revenue goals, hiring goals, whatever the target might be when it comes to business. How it came about is a number of years back, I started actually in the personal finance realm. So I was employed at Loophold at the time, actually. So I spent eight and a half years uh, working at Loophold. And that was great fun. However, I was looking for something a little more on this to do. So I started helping with my wife's aunt, helping her understand her personal finances and saw some great successes there and thought, hey, this is something cool. I'd love to do this for more people and started pursuing a business as a finance coach. Once started looking into the whole coaching arena, the world of coaching opened up, if you will, realizing that there's lots of things out there that a person can do under the umbrella of a coach. You know, of course, there's a the sports coach. That's what we're all familiar with growing up, playing organized sports, whatever it may be. And then you get into the personal training and the, the weight loss and the whole health arena and then there's relationship coaches i mean shoot you can get a coach for dating you can get a coach for marriage you can get a coach for parenting you can you know you can get a coach for gardening you can get a coach for any kind of things and then, and then the business realm and the business realm felt like hey this is this is legit this there's really people out there doing this providing great value and it's something that would be interesting to me to really be able to do that and i felt like my experiences up to date would be of value to organizations as well, plus diving more into it. So I've gone through a couple different coaching certification programs. One was just a general coaching program. The other one was specific for business coaching and then a third business program online. So just, you know, I've got some college under my belt, but these programs were more very much online specific for the coaching and the business aspect of it and really how to have those conversations to get those results, to pull them out. You know, like the client that, we started working together last November, December, setting goals for 2021. We're visiting. It's like, okay, what the, the year before they had made $200,000 in revenue, $200,400. And the target for 2021, they're like, I think I can do 225000 I was like, well, to me, that didn't feel inspiring enough for them to go. Right. So I tried to push them, got them to where they're like, okay, they're, they're going to aim for 250. It's kind of a, kind of a stretch for them, but at the same time, it kind of, I could tell it excited them a little more than 225,000. So by setting your target at, at a more of an inspirational number there, you end up taking action on things at a higher level on multiple facets to the point that by the time the end of March rolled around, the end of the first quarter, their business was on track to hit 300K. And, and still to this day, I just met with them Friday last week, their business is, is going to be over 300K at the end of this year. Wow. That's incredible. So... <sighs> And I'm assuming so for all small businesses, I mean, there's there's different industries. There's, you know, 
Uh, every small business, for the most part, is different. Different clientele, different product or service, whatever the case is. So are you kind of zeroed in or focusing on maybe like specific uh, kind of niche markets uh, in terms of these businesses? Or is it kind of come one, come all? Like if if you, you know, have a, a general understanding of, of what they're trying to do, that you can kind of help them unlock that potential and really meet and exceed those goals. Yeah, I've been told that my approach lends itself to not being niche specific. Okay. It ends up being, and the truth is, I've had successes in, in quite a wide variety of niches from, you know, that company I was telling you about, a bookkeeping company, to an auto body shop, you know, CPA, a digital marketing agency, a videographer, a, a copywriter, a alternative medicine clinic, a real estate agent. You know, so a variety of different clients that have all seen amazing results with once we really got serious and put a plan in place and executed. Yeah. Now, are you able to really kind of use a lot of the same uh, like principles um, and I don't know if tactics is the right word, but principles. Um, OK, we'll say tactics because I can't come up with a better word for it right now or a different word for it. Uh, are you using a lot of those same types of things and just reapplying them to those businesses? Or are you having to really kind of tailor make a a plan that's going to be very specific to to their um, specific area of business? It is a very tailor made plan. Okay. You know, and another client, the property management client that hired me, had worked with two other coaches and, and told me that both the other coaches felt like they were trying to cram a system onto me and it just, just wasn't really working. They're trying to tell me, you got to do this, you got to do this. And it just wasn't, it wasn't really her. It wasn't the business. And, and it just, she'd never ended up moving beyond a six month coaching package with either of those coaches. And then she just renewed with me because she said that when I'm working with you, we're building a system that is truly what I want to do from getting my goals and we're executing on that and seeing the results of it. Yeah, no, that's great. It sounds, it seems like to me, I mean, Growing up playing, you know, organized sports, like you kind of alluded to early on when, when people think of coaching is when you get into the business space or the business realm, like it, it feels like it's got to become more of a of a partnership uh, in terms of developing a plan uh, or, or at least, you know, gaining input or the insight as to what the customer is looking for to allow you to develop the plan. But then also coming back and saying, OK, this is, you know, what I'm this is the plan that I put in place. You know, this is how we're, this is how we will, um, execute it. Like you mentioned, um, like, is there a lot of back and forth? I mean, or is it kind of like, okay, this is what I've come up with. This is what I think is going to be best. And let's kind of hit the ground running with it. It all of the above. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it ends up being so, so custom, so different from one individual to the next that it's, it, it's all it's all encompassing. So sometimes it is one, sometimes more the other. You know, thinking back to that uh, that property management company, it was you. What is it? What is the end result that they want? Well, she was really overworked. It's just stress. There's not enough time to get anything done, which, quite frankly, is pretty common with anybody who's trying to run a business. There's sure. more stuff to do than there is time to do it. And she had one full-time employee and one part-time employee. After two months of working together, she reported to me that she, for the first time in about three years, had the entire weekend off of work. And for the first time that she could ever recall ever in her life, she felt like she had enough time to get things done. In the meantime, she had taken on about 10 or 12 new doors of properties that she was renting out, which was generating her an extra 12 or so hundred dollars in monthly revenue, in monthly you know, income off right. of that because she got a 10% of what the rent was going out or 8% or something. And still the same team, still the same business, but all of a sudden now she's executing and getting more done and having the weekend off and feeling like there is adequate time to get stuff done and be able to bring in more business at the same time. Yeah, feeling like you you have a life outside of, you know, what it is that, that you're doing for, for work because, yeah, I've seen that with, you know, just people that I know that have small businesses uh, either you know, very successful or moderately or, you know, just kind of scraping by is there's like you just mentioned, there's never they never felt like they had any personal time, right? Like it, the the job or the company, uh, the business itself always kind of got put at the forefront and, you know, almost your personal needs and well-being just kind of gets pushed to the side. And then, you know, that's just at the detriment of, of everything kind of in the long run as it compounds. Totally. 
So what is it about coaching that that you found that you really love that really kind of keeps you coming back for more and wanting to, you know, get involved with more and more companies? Yeah, it's when when I see the successes. I mean, just yesterday I had two coaching sessions and, and the the second one was or the first one I should say was a a young gentleman who's the videographer. He does video work for sawmill industry. And he's at a point where he's trying to decide what the next stage of advancement is, is should he go really deep in the sawmill industry? And he's gotten some good relationships now with some of the sawmill OEM equipment manufacturers where he's doing their product videos and and that kind of good stuff. And he's like, so there's the whole industrial industry as a whole where all these big machinery for plants, or there's a saw, there's a wood industry, which you can, which is very broad in and of itself, you know, because sawmills are just one part of the, of the wood industry right and he was as as we kind of go back and forth the coming to clarity on the wood he his goal now is he is the digital agency for wood and it's got on the whiteboard right there the same office that we were in yesterday it's the digital agency for wood and it's like okay sweet we, we came to very much four words digital agency for wood that is that is his what and i said okay now tell me why i said articulate why you know, and he's looking at me and he's like, um, and then he kind of starts, well, he said, there's an opportunity there, which is, which is very true. The sawmill industry, the wood industry is very far much lagging behind on their marketing and their videography work. So like, sweet. He's like, I really like the people that I get to meet with. I'm like, okay, sweet. You know, I'm going down and, and he comes up with about 10 or so different points, but in the end, I'm like, okay, let's let's reevaluate. So all these different points, I see three themes that come out of these points. One is the people. He kept coming back to the people. He loves the people. He loves, you know, the wood industry is, is very much a hunting and shooting and outdoor type of an individual, similar to construction. They're blue collar, they're not fancy. You know, they're they're right. very they're they're down to earth people. And he just likes that. And he likes getting to know them. And he's talking about you know, last month he got invited to Wisconsin to go visit the owner of McDonough Sawmill, you know, Don Manufacturing, I think the name of the company is, but, and he went, got out, got to go out with this guy's yacht in Lake Michigan. <laughs> and, but the guy lives in like this Timberline Lodge type house in, in Wisconsin and things. And so he, but he said the people that, and he loves to be able to help them reach their goals, you know, no different than what I'm doing with the coaching and, except he's bringing it from the digital aspect of it. So by his, by him and his team coming in there and shooting the photography of the sawmills in operation, and then they can use that for their marketing, he's helping them greatly. And then all the people that work there, all the other blue collar employees that come to work there, he can feel a satisfaction that he's making a difference there. Secondly, was the opportunity is true. There, there's a legitimate a, a big pond with lots of big fish and, and very few people fishing in it. Yeah. So it's, it's right for the picking. And then the third is the alignment with his core values. He, he's got a strong faith and it, you know, family is important to him and this business really aligned with what he felt like his purpose was on this earth. You know, he even talked about like his business was his ministry or his business was his his reason for he can help because he has now a team of people that come in to shoot these videos and do the video editing for him and stuff. So he's now building out and helping other people's lives through his business. So he doesn't need to focus on missionary from the church perspective, but his business is his missionary. And then he can focus on his family. And he's talking about, he's going later this week to, I think tomorrow he's taking off to go to Florida for a timber convention. He's bringing his wife and kids with him and they're going to hang out at, just chill for three or four days during the convention. And then they got another four nights afterward to just have some quality family time down in Florida. You know, now up in Washington here, it's starting to get cool and uh, a little rainy. So good time to go to Florida. Yeah, no, it's amazing how something like that, where you kind of, you're almost like peeling back the layers, right? To really try to get to the, the root cause or the, the core of what it is and why someone wants to be doing what they're doing, you know, why they started, you know, that small business to begin with. And it's amazing what you uncover throughout that process. If you ask the right questions, you know, and you kind of just, I don't want to say like keep prodding them, but just, you know, just let them keep talking. Right. And it's amazing the, the, the amount of information that can come out that maybe they didn't even realize was kind of trapped inside there that will ultimately 
lead them to a, you know a better place personally, financially, from a business standpoint. You know all the things that that tend to come with that that proper work life balance with you know success on both sides of that coin. And once you find that, it almost like there's this ripple effect, right? Then because then once you can find that balance and you start to grow. Well, then it's like you just mentioned now, you know, he's bringing on teams of people who maybe like this is their chance to get into an industry that they love as much as he does. Right. So now it's having this positive effect on that uh, positive effect on them. And it's amazing, you know, what what that can do, what a change one person can make, how it can have a positive effect, you know, on down the line without them even realizing it. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that's that's exactly. So when I have these successes and these all these clients experience these aha moments, and I walk out of a coaching session, it's just like if I could do nothing else with the rest of my life, I'd be more than content. So it's that's why I'm, that's why I do it, and continuing to see those successes and coming back and looking at progress over months, over quarters, and seeing that okay, this stuff is legit, and these people are grateful and, and they're eager to renew to keep going because they keep wanting more of it. Yep. Like the real estate agent that went from $2.2 million in January through July of sales you know, of houses. And we started working together in April and setting new things into play. The last time we met, so Monday, we're going to meet again this afternoon. But last Tuesday, she was looking at the numbers and she was about, if everything, if nothing else came her way, the stuff that she's got happening right now, she's going to be about $200,000 shy of $10 million worth of sales for this year, which in the... In the uh, company that she worked for, the greater property, premier property group that she works for, there's like 1,800 or something realtors under that group. Less than 3% of them do over $10 million worth of sales annually. So she's put herself in that upper echelon just with, you know, making the necessary changes, doing, you know, tweaking things to kind of better suit her and, and maybe her style of, you know, interacting with potential buyers or potential sellers, whatever the case is, whichever side she's working on. Uh, that's incredible. <laughs> that's yeah. especially, you know, people here, uh, you know, when a real estate agent is, you know, accounts for, you know, 2.2 million in sales. I mean, a lot of people be like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's a great year. And, and probably for a lot of people, that is a pretty good year. Right. But if you five times that, I mean, unbelievable. That's, that's, that's yeah, such so a great. She's looking at almost a quarter million dollar personal income off that yeah. based on the what are the you know two and a half percent that they get from every sale that they help broker? Yeah. So Ryan, let me ask you. You kind of alluded to it uh, like very early on when we were talking about the coaching side of things and how there's it seems like there's like a coach for a lot of different things you know nowadays. You know why? In in I guess in your personal opinion, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's so many people looking to get into coaching, and then also why so many people are kind of looking for for that coaching for whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Well, I draw a parallel with the sports industry. So because I've, I'm in the industry, in the coaching industry, I've, I've spent the time to look it up because it's mean, fascinating, right? So it was about 1860, 1870 that pro professional athletes, basically the, the world was to, at a point that people were willing to spend money to watch athletes perform. Okay. You know, there was a times in, in, in more ancient history that was the case as well, but more of a modern world. And so sports competitions became to be a bigger thing, more so than just your backyard roll the hoop, whatever they would do back in the settlement days. Yeah. So the uh, it became apparent that if you get somebody to help you, to push you, to hold you accountable, you're going to own the field. And so once the first person does it and the first person owns the field and everybody else goes, whoa, what's that guy doing? What's that girl doing? And then they realize, well, he's got a support behind him. Everyone else is like, well, hey, will you help me? Will you help me? And so from that, coaching grew in the sports arena. It's been 150 years ago now and became widely accepted by 1900. It was pretty well, you have a coach. If you're going to be doing any kind of competition, you just it's, it's assumed that you have a coach because if you don't, you're just gonna never gonna make it. Yeah. Fast forward 100 years, about 1960, 1970, corporations started cluing into the same thing. Somebody at somewhere had the had the brilliant idea that, well, hey, if it's helping in the sports arena, would it be helping in the would it help in the business arena? And there are some differences. There's not a clear cut first place, second place winners in the business arena. Right. So it ends up being not as easy of a 
of a thing to measure, is it successful? But there's a reason every Fortune 500 company has coaches for all their top level people. It's, it's not that they hired coaches once they became a Fortune 500 company. It's that by hiring coaches, they became a Fortune 500 right. company. Right. So it's by bringing that outside perspective into it, humans get more done. Humans are, you get clarity on your actions, you get your energy focused, and you flat out produce more. Therefore, your business is more successful. And you have nothing really to measure it against other than what your success was, say, the last 12 months. And when your last 12 months have whatever, okay, rate of growth, you know, pretty decent rate of growth in some cases. And in a lot of people's perspective, to go from 200 to $225,000 in one year would have been a pretty good level of growth for yeah. the business. But why stop there when you can get 300K in one year's growth? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. I never kind of really thought to, to look all the way back, right, to kind of win the first coach at whatever level, right, was was really introduced and, and why they were brought in to the fold and, and what that kind of meant, um, you know, for, for coaching now. Because, yeah, I mean, my, my only real experience with coaches is, you know, again, through um through like team sports or anything like that and it's uh it, it's interesting how like at different points in your life with different coaches how the message kind of changes and it evolves a little bit because you know when you're you're young and you're playing whatever sport it, it is right any type of organized activity like that like it's really just about teaching you know the the child you know the fundamentals as, as best as possible that you know, to have fun, to try hard, to be a good teammate, you know, uh, have good sportsmanship, you know, those kind of core principles of, of any type of athletic event. And then, you know, as you get like into high school, let's say, then it becomes more about, you know, refining your craft a little bit and kind of working on specifics, how to make you, you know, maybe if it's high school, how to make you, uh, or you're focusing more time on being a better teammate, right? Because that's going to translate uh, into maybe being a better employee in, you know, in the workforce when you get older. And then obviously there's college where it's more about, you know, really kind of honing things in once more. And then, okay, this is how you become like an adult. Like you learn, like I know with my experience in college and, and playing sports is, you know, those people and the, the grit and the lessons that they taught us about, you know, just how to over, overcome adversity, right? And things like that are just, they're things that have stuck with me for the last 20 years. And it's it's incredible to see more people who, you know, just want to become better that are exploring those options because I think sometimes, and you can probably attest to this with your your customers and conversations that you've had with them, is like that's got to be a difficult first step for a lot of those people to take to say, I need help, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, anytime, any business, you're always going to ask, who else do you know that could use my product, could use my service? I mean, referral marketing is, is where it's all at. And one of the clients told me, she said, you need to brand yourself different because I feel like if I'm suggesting something, they should visit a coach that I'm suggesting they should go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what it is, right? But it's sometimes people just have that problem admitting like, because they've already done essentially, in my opinion, the hard part. They've made that first step. They've they've took the leap to start their own own business. You know, it could be two years in, it could be 10 years in. I mean, the hard part is kind of out of the, out of the way, I guess, in, in some regard. But, you know, there's probably a lot of people that they've asked for, you know, opinions or help along the way that maybe were just like friends or family, maybe other business owners that, you know, they felt confident or uh, felt comfortable speaking with, but to kind of bring someone in, you know, from outside the fold uh, to get their opinion and kind of let them, you know, really evaluate what it is that you've built. I mean, that can be a, a little scary, I guess. Absolutely. And even to that point, like this, the same conversation yesterday, the guy has, he has other mentors that he goes and visits with or, you know, has a phone call with and two mentors who are both successful business people gave him pretty conflicting advice on what he should do going forward. And he was like, so I just want to share with you and get your thoughts on this. Yeah. And then, and then by him sharing, and then I can just ask him some pointed questions like, well, what do you, you know, what is your, and then, and then you can, again, we come to clarity on what, how we're going to move forward with this because based on this and based on that, it's like, 
I'm happy to give my suggestions on it. But before I give my suggestions, what do you think about it? And then because and uh, it, it's such a what do I do? And the reality of it is there's no shortage of what to do. I mean, you can go to Google and in a fraction of a second, you're going to have page after page of how to be successful in business. And therefore, what which path is the right for me? And if you're not careful, you're going to be chasing green pastures and you're going to be spinning your wheels. Right. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, I guess. And well, maybe shift gears isn't uh, the right way to put it, but I want to talk about like the, the other side of the business, right? So Ryan Sarkin Coaching is a 2% for conservation certified business. So how was it that you first learned about 2% for conservation? All right. As I mentioned briefly, I'd worked at Loophole up yep. until summer of 2019 and working in the industry somewhere along the lines, it, it became apparent. I don't know where exactly. I can't pinpoint when I saw it, whether it was a social media post from somebody, whether it was a news article or, or whatever. And I've gotten to know some of the people by visiting various trade shows. And I remember getting to know the guys over at Stone Glacier when they were in their infancy. And Jesse Cito, and my understanding is he's one of the guys behind 2% for Conservation yeah. or yep. in the very beginnings there. And so I've been aware of it. And loved the concept, loved the idea, and thought that one one day when my business is at a point, I want to take advantage of that as well. And even being self-employed, I've even before two percent was a thing, I I love working. So I've been a member of the Rockman Dog Foundation for years. When I was a middle schooler, which out here is fifth through eighth grade, there was a teacher at the middle school that was a member of the Elk Foundation and he brought his bugle magazines and they were in the library for checking out. So I'd be pouring these things cover to cover and <laughs> was drinking the Kool-Aid already as a little boy. So, I mean, obviously I grew up with the dad that hunts and stuff too. So, but back to the whole conservation side of things, I've been working and volunteering with the Washington Park Fish and Wildlife and along with the Rock and Foundation here in Southwest Washington and wished I could have more opportunity to do exactly that. So this 2% for conservation thing is just like, absolutely. And so as soon as I can prove out my business, I'm going to do this 2% for conservation thing because already I'm going to be doing it. Why not be certified? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what I hear a lot of people say, uh, especially small business owners, right? It's like, it's almost, it's this no brainer, you know, once, once they, you know, find out about 2% or they, they really kind of understand how 2% works. Um, and, much like yourself, a lot of times they're already they're already doing that, right? They're already donating their their time and their money back to these organizations, uh, and oftentimes it's excuse me, it exceeds that you know two percent that is required um, to be two percent certified. So, what are some of the organizations that you're you know giving back to? So you kind of touched on um, the Washington uh, Department there of uh, parks. Was it Parks and Recreation or yeah. Fish and Wildlife? Parks, fish, fish and Wildlife. Fish same and thing, different name. Yeah, it's it. Every state is a little bit different as far as how it's named. So, like, I talk to enough people from a different state, and that's I just I get sometimes a little crossed up. So, what are some of the organizations that you're giving back to? Yeah, so thus far it's been the Elk Foundation. You know, being being indoctrinated into their thing, I've it's followed me ever since, and that's where the focus has been you know there's a lot of other organizations and as i'm looking around and thinking that some of these organizations that are a little closer there was one that was the was here in southwest washington that uh it seems like in the last few few years they haven't really been active though because i've been trying to find them again and there's not really much going on about them but the apple bird sportsman's club and other things like that there's opportunities out there but really anything that i can put my time i, I love a being out in the woods and B, an excuse to go out in the woods in the springtime and count dead elk and or plant trees and, and cut down brush, you know. So that's, yeah, so that's good. Any way I can do that. Yeah. So how was it, uh, Ryan, that you were really kind of first introduced the to the outdoors? I mean, you, you you mentioned quickly there that you grew up with a with a father as a hunter. So what did what did you know your first kind of experience or your introduction to the outdoors look like? Yeah. So as a boy, you know, my dad would come home and out here it's blacktail hunting. Yeah. He would bring in a little fork and a black tail. There's a picture of him on his old pickup. Datsun, I think it was. I can't remember exactly. His red <laughs> pickup. He's got holding the little fork and a buck when him and my mom were fairly newly married. And then there was a, a I think it was either first grade or second grade. I think it was second grade. Saturday morning, it, it obviously during hunt season, my dad brings me up in the woods with him. And 
we're just no, not already very far into the hike and we're near a clear cut that's got, you know, probably three or four year old, whatever, since the trees are growing back a little bit and we're in the timber and we look out there and there's a buck, you know, a fork and horn buck. And so he plows the thing right there and I get to be there and field dress the thing and help drag it back down to the Jeep and on our way we go. And, you know, little things like that were really solidifying at home for me. And then another time I was nine or 10 and I wasn't hunting yet, but we went, hiked into this canyon up northeast of Mount St. Helens. And uh, in August, and the idea was to bring in some canned goods and stash them down below for when hunting season rolled around, you could go down there and not have to bring as much with us right. during hunting season when you're going to have the tent, you're going to have the other weight with you. So we go down there, and it was late August, and on while we're down at the bottom of this canyon, we're just kind of poking around, exploring the thing, and we see this tree that's, you know, 10, 12-foot-tall tree that's shaking. And we're like, there's an elk rub in this tree, and it's 50 yards in front of us. So we stop, we sit down on a log, and this, eventually that bull comes out, and more elk, and there's several bulls, and this bull comes and beds down, I don't know, 30, 40 feet in front of us, and just wow. chain there, and velvet hanging off its antlers, and... And if we sat there, I, you know, obviously it was a number of years ago. I don't remember the exact details, but quite a long time. And eventually a spike got below us and the wind, the wind was slowly drifting up Canyon from them towards us and eventually got behind us and, and sounded the alarm and the whole herd took off. But just the, the memory of sitting there was one of the catalysts to really set it deep down my psyche of, of what I want to do. And obviously my hunting and, and that stuff. And then hiking out of there, it was after dark we hear way off in the canyon we hear a bugle like oh yeah so just you know, being a boy and a couple of those experiences like that that just really lit the fire yeah i mean that's that's an incredible story i mean especially <clears throat> to kind of to experience something like that at that young of an age is i mean that's something that you know lifelong elk hunters will never get to experience right just being that really up close and personal at that time of year and you know having them bed down in front of you it's one thing you know to call an elk into you know 10 yards or something like that when you're actively trying to do it but in this you know particular situation you were just you were just one with nature right you guys were out for a hike you guys were out to try to you know lay some groundwork for you know the next month or whatever and just found yourselves in that in that right position at the right time I mean that's I (laughs) yeah I, I can see why the outdoors, like why that kind of flipped the switch for you at an early age and why you haven't really looked back since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that, that's, that's my hobby. So, you know, I grew up also fishing and whatnot, but at this point I'm a family man. I, I'm married, I have six kids, so things are busy at home. And I've got to pick and choose wisely what my time away from home is. And so elk hunting is number one, blacktail hunting is number two, and then everything else has fallen below the threshold. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, I only have two kids, so... I know what it's like for me. So the fact that you have three times as many kids as I do, I can imagine that, uh, yeah, you have to very, you have to be very deliberate with your uh, decisions on how you're going to spend time uh, away from everyone. Mm-hmm. Only so many weekends. I, I just cram them all, that, all together. Yeah. So have you had a chance to get out uh, elk hunting at all yet this year? No, I've been a rifle hunter. Okay. So November is my elk season. Okay. What does, uh, what does your blacktail season look like there? Cause I know, I, there's so many different, like, especially out West, I mean, Michigan here, it's, it's very kind of cut and dry, um, when seasons start, when they end and this and that, and there's not like a first season or a second season. Um, and I know in a lot of Western States, there's, you know, there's first rifle, there's second rifle. What does Washington look like in, in terms of like how rifle season works? Yeah. The general season, it's, it's like the third Saturday in October or, or thereabouts and it runs for through the Halloween. Okay. Then in the and then the first Saturday of November is opening of elk and that goes for a week and a half through Wednesday. Then the next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are late buck they call it. So you get a chance for mid November blacktail hunt for four okay. days and half the bucks are shot during those four days. Really? Is that kind okay. of when they're is are they rutting more at that time or it's just yeah because it's I mean, rifle. The last the last handful of days in October. So like leading up to Halloween, if you can get those last few days off, if if they happen to align just right and you can hunt them, that's some of the best hunting if the weather cooperates. Then again, because it's so thick and brushy on the west side, if it's hot and dry, which or warm and dry, it's not really hot anymore that time of year, but it can be very difficult to hunt as opposed to being wet. When it's yeah. wet, 
yeah, I just flat see a lot more animals. Yeah. So <clears throat> with keeping with the, the conservation side of things and, and with the coaching, uh, with some of the, these businesses that you're working with, are they um, maybe, you know, heavily, or are they, I guess, involved in the outdoor, well, maybe not outdoor space directly, but are they um, companies or organizations that like to give back to wildlife like you? Um, you know, how, or is that like conversations that you have with them throughout the process or, or you know, how does that work? Yeah, thus far it has not been much of it. You know, yeah. The timber industry guy, he has, has a brother that's really into salmon fishing. So yesterday morning he was out salmon fishing, caught a couple nice fish. But outside of that, there hasn't been people, there's a lot of interest. It's like, hey, yeah, I'd love to get into hunting. And so we, I continue those conversations, but I haven't had much chance since leaving Loophole to really work back in the industry again. Yeah, I'd love to partner more with companies that would be more, conservation centric and i've been using it a little bit like doing this two percent for conservation and the networking that i do I'm like hey i'm looking for other conservation minded individuals to have a conversation setting up a group hike for the networking group that i'm in and just kind of trying to to get it but i'm i'm looking forward to having more conversations with people in the conservation world yeah that's it, you know it's funny with conservation i mean it's kind of been maybe at the, a bit more a bit more at the the forefront over the last maybe ten years. Uh, it seems like uh, like the public land movement um, that started, you know, 2010, 2009, somewhere in that range, has really kind of uh, garnered a lot more attention to a lot of these topics, especially as it pertains more to the Western states and and the public land and, and how that all plays out. But for someone who's a lifelong outdoorsman like yourself, you know, and it, it, obviously is is very keen on on conservation and and giving back you know what in your opinion would be you know some of the obstacles that kind of face us as as outdoorsmen and outdoors women in the conservation space yeah my limited opinion based on my own experience is if there's not animals out there people are going to eventually stop going out there yeah just to, to bring it closer to home. So my dad, he's had some success blacktail hunting up until he drew a cow tag when I was in my twenties, he never saw shot an elk. As a result, his interest in elk hunting just kind of waned over the years. Once I started hunting and I started seeing some success and had shot several animals, he kind of picked it back up and come out with me. But then it was the, the opposite of when I was a boy, he would have to wait for me when I became a man, I had to wait for him. So, <laughs> There was that aspect going on, but, and then he eventually drew a cow tag and he was, I think he was 52 and he shot his first elk and he said, man, I feel like I'm 32 and my body tells me I'm 52 after packing the cow elk out. Oh, I bet. <laughs> so he was just, he was just beat I and mean, poor guy, but it's, uh, it's, if there's no, if there's no animals already out in Washington, particularly the success rates are fairly low. The number of people out there hunting, I mean, the rifle hunting success rate is somewhere in the 8% neighborhood, wow. which are very low odds. Then you get some guys who shoot elk every year, which you know that there's people that hunt for years and years and years without shooting an elk. Right. And it, kind of like the one guy I was out in the woods and he shot an elk and it was the second elk ever. And the last one he shot was 20 years earlier. I said, that, that's kind of a typical hunt because the if there's 8% success rate, on these general season hunts out in Western Washington, probably Washington state as a whole, people are eventually just going to lose interest in going out there. Yeah. If you go out there for 20 years in a row and you're not seeing success, I mean, a lot of those guys would just go out there for the camaraderie and the camp and that kind of stuff. But outside of that, there, anything you do, if you go out and try and try and try and and you're not successful, you're going to, most people are going to eventually give up. So, it's getting, making sure there's animals on the landscape, and then obviously you got to be able to get to them. You know, there was a movement here a number of years back with the big timber companies to, to realize that hunters were a cash crop and started charging for access to their land. You're growing up, you could drive on the warehouse or the other timber company's land for free during hunting season, but now you got to pay three to five hundred dollars annually for a pass to be able to drive on their land. Ah. So the state lands, which all you need is a thirty dollar discover pass for end up getting hit harder because of that. And, you know, the national forest was, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, there was lots of logging in the national forest that got shut down then in the nineties with the Clinton era. And now those old clear cuts are 
30 years old, 40 years old, and the animal population is down as a result. So the ability for people to go out there and find animals, you hear, hearing people talk about the glory days of in the 80s when there would be herds of elk, 100 animals deep, versus now they're hunting the same area and will hunt for a week without seeing anything. Yeah, it's amazing how <clears throat> how that changes like that. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize the impact or you know see the difference from you know 20 30 years ago uh compared to now and whether that's from you know and it could be you know from a ecological standpoint right where there's a lot of you know timbering going on uh you know and it's just they're, they're these animals are just losing their habitat and, and being kind of crammed into to one area uh, maybe a long ways away from what always used to be their home range um or it's you know more hunters so you know more more pressure on the animal disease uh you know anything like that i mean it you know i remember when i first started hunting whitetails here in michigan like you know cwd like i had never even heard of of some of these diseases that you know i don't want to say are rampant but they're you know much more at the forefront of you know research and uh topics of conversation uh with conservation organizations here uh you know kind of really all throughout the midwest and yeah i don't know yeah people call it the good old days and i don't know if it's just because uh there were less people right so uh, you know less people on the land uh so it, it seemed that way um but it's it it's really interesting to see how things have changed you know even just over the course of my career or my career uh, of my time in the outdoors and i'm sure you know like you said the same with yours you know even you know almost a, a a country away you know the other side of the country in, in washington there oh yeah and i can like you said i've seen it even just in the since i had my license and was first driving up around in the national forest hillsides that were are now getting full of trees again that used to be a lot more open those old clear cuts that even back in the 2000s at least were only 15 years old they're now 30 years old and it's just there's not as much food for the animals yeah so i i can definitely agree with those folks who do talk about those wide open big herds with lots of food for them but what do you do yeah yeah that's it lobby lobby the in congress right yeah well i think you know it's you know from from a personal standpoint like being as active and as involved as you can be with groups like rmef um you know in your home state and you know trying to have the biggest impact that you can you know where you're doing a lot of your recreating i mean i think that's from a from a conservationist standpoint, from an individual standpoint, someone who who says and who truly does care about the land and, and the animals that occupy that land, I mean, I think that's 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 what we have to do, right? And hope that the actions that we're partaking in, you know, we meet other like-minded people, and you can just, you know, kind of create this groundswell of of positive change, um, you know, not only in in your area, but you know, obviously, hopefully, you know, countrywide, depending upon what the topic or issue is. Absolutely. Yeah, and to bring it home, too, that there's this Merrill Lake project that the Rockman Island Foundation has done over the last number of years that there's a cool waterfall that I've hiked, and I've spent some time there as a, as a youngster, and uh, even now I'll go in there, but it went up for sale, and it was it was legis- legitimately eyeballed as being split into 20-acre lots because there was a lot of value for recreation in there and there's this Merrill Lake it's this natural lake that formed when Mount St. Helens erupted a thousand years ago or whatever and the owner of the timber company thankfully was conservation minded enough to pursue it to see if there'd be an opportunity to to have it turned into a conservation piece and the Rockman Oak Foundation ended up being involved and purchased it from the timber company and then since turned it over to the Fish and Wildlife as a new wildlife area okay. that had then been able to go help in a volunteer capacity to remove a bunch of overgrown alder trees to kind of open back up a little bit a few years ago and other projects that unfortunately have been put on hold these last couple of years because of the COVID stuff, but yeah. looking forward to getting back into that stuff again. Yeah. And those are, and that's one of the things I do love about RMEF is, you know, how active they are in helping uh, acquire land uh, for the right reasons and then turning it back over uh, in most cases to the state uh, or to, you know, whatever agency to, to help, uh, you know, properly run that. Cause you know, that's not what RME, RMEF does. Like they don't manage land, but they can, they certainly do a lot of amazing work to help get these, you know, good pieces of land that, 
you know, provide a lot of habitat for a lot of different animals, not just elk, and then get that back into, you know, the, the hands of, you know, the people who are going to take care of it and do the right things. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the beauties of, of RMEF just really in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's many others out there just like them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So a few more questions here, Ryan, before I let you get going, kind of going back to the business side of things and, and the coaching aspect. So you work with a lot of different small businesses. Is there kind of one common theme? I meant to ask you this earlier, but one, one common theme or one, you know, kind of common problem that you tend to see that is kind of very identifiable, you know, early on in the process that a lot of these small businesses make? Well, it's, it's, it comes down to this, the number one asset for a small business owner becomes their number one liability. And I say that what, what is, makes an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur is somebody who's got grit, determination, and the willingness to do everything, including all the dirtiest of jobs. And therefore, they're able to pull together something and, and make some successes. And I see it in the same reason that people who are a year or two into their business are not as apt to be looking for a business coach because there's the honeymoon phase. They've had some successes under their belt. Things are going. Things are growing. But they reach a point where that desire to do everything on, of their own becomes a liability. And the, their mindset around things ends up not adjusting as quick as it needs to in order for the business to grow at the rate that they maybe want it to. So when business owners are open to conversations, it's when they felt that they've plateaued or now they're faced with the struggle that they, they've been able to get over everything else to now, but now, now there's another one. And, you know, it's, it's employee that they're just having difficulties with, or it's a, uh, you know, it's just like struggling as they are, there's just not enough hours left in the week to do their work. And there's, things that happen and so okay, let's have conversations and then there's desire. And so it's those business owners that, you know, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and thought, I thought I'd be further along than now than what I am. Sure. Yeah. Those are good candidates for coaching. Yeah. And I'd imagine that, like you said, all the, the kind of the characteristics that make up an entrepreneur and, and someone that, that can take that step, make that leap, um, they kind of get in their own way to once, once you hit a certain point, they don't want to relinquish a lot of the things that they, maybe they enjoy doing, uh, early on in the process, but you know, now have just become very time consuming and it's not necessary for them to do them or it, it shouldn't be a priority for them. They should be looking at, you know, the bigger picture, you know, how to, you know, be more streamlined, how to be more efficient with your processes, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. Yeah. And so that, that's where their wins are. And so we sit down in two weeks or two months or four months, you end up seeing the results that I've alluded to in the past, just massive growth because you start setting everything into place and you streamline the, the processes and you figure out how to communicate with your employees. And guess what? When people come to work and they're, they're happy and they like you, they, their output is greater, believe it or not. So there's a, there's, all aspects of running a business. You talk about people and, and, and product and process, three P's. Yep. People are huge and not only employees, but also vendors and, and subcontractors, your customers, clients, you know, upstream, downstream, left stream, right stream, whatever you are, there's people in business. People do business with people regardless of what they're doing. It's, it's a human to human connection. Absolutely. And people spend money for one of two reasons. A, they're seeking pleasure or B, they're avoiding pain or a combination of both. So if you're a contractor and you're working with somebody wanting to build a new patio, what they're, they're not doing it because they want a patio. They're doing it because they want to host friends. They're doing it because they want a beautiful yard to be attractive to, so they feel better. The patio is just how they're going to get there. Yeah. So when you're communicating with that person, you don't talk about necessarily about the patio. You talk about what the patio is going to bring them. And now you've got a connection. It's very well put. That's very, very well put. I'm not even going to try to ask any follow-ups on that because I feel like you just kind of really sum things up and you kind of really, you really nailed it there. Mm-hmm. You know, and employees, uh, one of the biggest things right now across the board, at least out here in the West, is there's more job openings than there are willing people to take them. Right. And I understand that's pretty well across the country, at least mm-hmm. in most cases. Yep. And 
I'm not saying this is a case, but I throw a challenge out there. And the challenge is, is it that there's not willing workers? Or is it that there's not competent enough leaders? You're making the listeners do a lot of thinking today, Ryan. I like it, though. That's what I do. That's, that's how I get my money. I, I challenge. And that real estate agent told me that, said, do you know what? The fact that you're not from the real estate industry brings extra value to our relationship. Because I challenge the exact same things, regardless of what it is. Like, okay, so this is how things are done in the real estate industry. Why? Yeah, because that's how it's always been done. That's That's an answer I hear so often in all walks of life like why are we doing it this way because that's how it's always been done well it doesn't yeah. mean it's oh, the right way I, yeah and oh it's still being it's still getting some levels of success because real estate agents are still doing it right i mean anybody who's ever owned a home has gotten flyers in the mail we buy homes for cash you want to list your home those kinds of things are constant when you when you're a homeowner because guess what the realtors do they send out little postcards yep sometimes they have their faces on them sometimes they don't even go that far yeah so sometimes they're a little more handwritten. Sometimes they're just blanket, and you can tell. But what is it that can challenge? What what can you do to challenge the status quo, and see your go, results go from two point two million dollars in six months to another nine million dollars or seven eight and a half million dollars in the next three months? Yeah, in your business. Yeah, forcing people to uh, to step outside of their box a little bit, and you know, almost get uncomfortable in, in kind of some of the methods that they that they take going forward because it's like you said, it's, that's why that's, you know, that's the way it's always been done, but why, right? Like really, really finding out that why that's, that's, I think, I think a lot of people can kind of do some self-reflecting and self-evaluating, you know, just by asking themselves, you know, those questions that, you know, why am I doing this? You know, whatever this is, you know, why, you know? So one more question here, Ryan, before I let you go. We're kind of into hunting season. I know at least most of the West, it's it's kicked off. Um, archery season opens here in Michigan in 10 days, 11 days, I think. Yeah, 11 days. So any big hunts or anything like that that you're excited for? Or is it just kind of the, the elk and blacktail? I mean, what do you, what's your uh, fall look like? Yeah, blacktail and elk. And that's starting October and got six weekends in a row of, between elk and blacktail. So some of those years or a couple of times I shot animals opening day and it kind of ruins your whole season because all of a sudden like, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my weekend? But <laughs> there it is. So, uh, there was one year I got a, I actually had a, a special elk tag that was coincided with the opening day of deer season. And I shot an elk that first day and I had taken the whole week off. So I went, so Monday I spent cutting elk meat and Tuesday I went out and shot a blacktail. So my hunting season lasted two days. Yeah, but that's, I mean, I, I understand like what you're, where you're coming from, right? Like, what am I going to do with the rest of this time? And, you know, sometimes you just like the chase, right? You like being out in the woods. You like being in the mountains, whatever. But at the same time, like the flip side of the coin is like, well, at least I know I've, I'm maxed out, right? Like I've gotten, you know, an elk and a, and a blacktail. Like that's, that's going to feed the family for, you know, until next year this time. So at least you don't have to kind of get into day five and go, you know, I haven't seen much. Things are looking a little bleak here. What am I going to do? You know, what's a alternative? What's plan B? But uh, yeah, that's that's not a bad season at all. Yeah, it, it's it's good for it's always obvious reasons, but there's always a little bit of a oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't so, want it to be over yet. Exactly. So that's a bittersweet. But hey, if if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be going out there. Yeah. So uh, real quick, Ryan, where can people find you if they're interested in business coaching or just kind of following along with you? Uh, what's the best way to either get a hold of you or follow you? Yeah, so the 2% of Conservation has the information there. My website is in the works right now, so I'll be posting the link in the in updated 2% of Conservation page on there. And then my, you know, I have a Facebook page and a LinkedIn page. And then my email and phone number are on that, so the 2% page as well. So that's a great way to connect and, and figure out how we can challenge their their operations and, and drastically improve their bottom line. And the best thing about it is if I can partner with 2% businesses and we can double their revenue, guess what happens to their to the amount that they provide to conservation? That is more money for conservation, ladies and gentlemen. That's exactly what that is. So yeah, so fishandwildlife.org. Click on the business members. Uh, scroll down where you will find Ryan Sarkin and coaching. So 
Ryan, thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed this hearing about uh, the company, you know, the kind of your process and, and how you're able to help these companies. I think it's awesome. And like you said, if you can help some of these 2% businesses out to, you know, increase profits and revenue and, and in turn, you know, be able to get more money back to conservation. That's awesome, man. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Had a lot of fun. All right. Take care, Ryan. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, thanks again to Ryan for taking some time to hop on the podcast with me today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier and Wild Rivers Coffee, as well as Go Hunt and 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys, like always, to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you enjoy their conservation-focused posts in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Remember to stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you.